Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Yeah, hallelujah. Man, it's really a pleasure and an honor to be with you guys. Uh, I can already sense that this is a hungry people, uh, which really makes what I've got to give very easy to give. Oh, and I really do believe this is uh, ordained by God. I, I know Cameron graciously invited us to be here, but I believe God gave him the wisdom to do that uh, because <laughs> he's a wise guy, <laughs> number one. And then number two, uh, this is really my heart. This is this is why I feel called to minister. I'm, I'm a uh, full-time minister, uh, which is a unique and rare privilege but this is my heart to reach the lost. I, I really uh, feel that in the fiber of my being. And I'm called to a specific location in the United States, which is also a rare and unique privilege. It really is to know exactly where you're called to be. is like, whoa, Holy Spirit lottery, right? It really is. 14, 13, 14 years ago when I was first saved, which is not long ago. <laughs> really, it's not. He gave me a mic, so. <laughs> when I was first saved, okay, I, I remember uh, being in church and listening to our pastor talk about how Jesus engaged the lost, right? With healings, with signs, with miracles, by loving people exactly where they were. And I remember my heart being caught on fire by that because that wasn't who I knew Jesus to be growing up in the Catholic church. He just wasn't that person that he is in the gospels, right? And as I listened to, to my pastor, who was a vineyard pastor at the time, that's where we were going, talk about that. My heart was erupting, but I, you know, I was saved, but like saved by fire. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, I'm in, but there's a lot of work between then and now. You know what I'm talking about? A process is, is what it's called. And so I'm still kind of working things out in my own heart. And I had this awful toothache at the time, just the worst thing. I, I, who here has had toothaches? You just, they're bad. They're just terrible. But at the time I was having this toothache, we were also completely broke. So I couldn't go to the dentist to get it fixed. And me and my family were swimming in the pool and I was just kind of trying to ignore the pain. Uh, and I remember thinking, man, I've been reading about how Jesus touched people and healed them. And the gospels, I wonder if he would just heal this tooth and then I wouldn't have to worry about how I'm going to get this thing fixed. Okay. So we're just swimming, me and my family, uh, at the time, my wife, um, Chris was probably, was our only kid, Chris and Annalie. We've got five kids. So it starts to, to blend together after a while. We're swimming in this pool. And I just said to my, uh, five-year-old son, no, I guess he was like four at the time. I said, Hey, Chris, would you just swim over here? Put your hand on my tooth and say, in Jesus' name, tooth be healed, okay? So he just swims over. He lays his little paw on my, my face like this, and in his little four-year-old voice just goes, in Jesus' name, daddy's tooth be healed. Instantly, the pain just starts alleviating. I said, man, just thinking about it gets me worked up. And I said, Chris, just do it again. He does it again. He puts his hand on my face. He says, Jesus, heal daddy's tooth. Boom, the pain is completely gone. I've never dealt with pain in that tooth ever since. 
Yeah, I was on fire after that. You couldn't tell me otherwise about anything in the Gospels after that. I went back up into our apartment and I laid down in excitement on my bed and I fell asleep. The Lord, I don't know if the Lord put me into a sleep or if I fell asleep from excitement, but I fell asleep and I had a dream that I still remember vividly to this day. I was looking at myself in a bird's eye view. I was walking around in what looked like a dilapidated mountain town. I was leading teams of people and we had torches that were on fire. And as we went house to house in this dilapidated mountain town, we took our torches of fire, knocked on the door. And as people opened the door, they had a torch that wasn't on fire. We took our torch of fire, lit their torch, and then went on to the next house. (laughs) I woke up from that dream. I had no idea what that meant. I had no idea what what that meant. I knew it was from God, but I thought, man, that was really peculiar. (laughs) 14 years later, I know exactly what that dream meant. I know exactly where I'm called to be. I'm supposed to be in Appalachia, leading teams driven and, and fueled by the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit to touch lost lives who have been extinguished by the enemy's schemes. It's a pleasure. It's a joy to impart that to you this weekend. Me and Michael have been doing ministry together for 10 years, right? Close to. We've probably combined have knocked on over 2,000 doors easily, easily. Sometimes we get rejected. Sometimes we see miracles. Sometimes people come to Jesus. But the point is that we know what we're supposed to be doing and we're actively doing it because it brings glory to God's name. Yeah. (laughs) I feel it. I feel this is a heavyweight church. I feel like you guys are spiritual titans in this place. And what I feel like is that me and Michael have come here to bring a torch of Holy Spirit fire to, to just reignite and reawaken something that is already there. I know you want to reach the lost. I know you want to tell people about how good Jesus is. I know you want to see people come alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes all we need is a refresher, is a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit to come into our sails, to push us again in the right direction that we know we're supposed to be going in, but we've allowed life to come and dampen. That's what we're going to do this weekend. So Holy Spirit, would you just come? Lord, we know you're here. We recognize that you're in this space. Oh, man. But would you just manifest in this place? Would you bring your presence in such a way that you would mark our hearts and light us on fire again? Would you make evangelism simple to us? Would you pull off the lies from the hell that, that tell us that evangelism is too scary or too hard or too far beyond our capability? Would you break those lies off of us tonight? And would you equip us and empower us to go reach the lost where you've put us in our day-to-day lives? Father, we say yes, because we're the ecclesia. We're the church that goes. We're the church that invades the town center. We're the church that's willing to look foolish and radical so that your name would be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> All right, let's do the, 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 the quintessential evangelism scripture, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. 
Matthew 28, verse 16. So this is the resurrected Jesus and the 11 disciples, was 12 minus one, encountering him after his resurrection. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's a long time too. So that's a lot of authority and that's a long time, isn't it? So I love this scripture because there's so much to unpack here. Jesus has resurrected from the grave and he's, he's about to ascend to the right hand of the father. He's about to position and prepare the disciples for the outpouring of the promise, Holy Spirit. And he gives them some final directives as he's about to leave them in his physical body. And it says that before he gives them those directions that Matthew points out that as the 11 gathered to see the resurrected Jesus, which would be mind blowing in itself, that some of them are doubting. Can you imagine Jesus's resurrected body? The guy that you just saw nailed to the cross, put in a tomb with a Roman region, uh, uh, elite Regiment put in front of his resurrected body is standing before you and you're doubting. What are they doubting? Probably their faith. How many of you have ever doubted your faith? You're a liar. If you don't raise your hand, (laughs) it's just true. We all do. We all live in the same world. We're all under the same curse until Jesus breaks us free. And we all have to renew our minds to believe what we actually believe. They doubted. They're looking at resurrected Jesus and they're doubting. This is what I love. Jesus picks up on it, picks up on it and he notices and he gives them encouragement. He says, guys, I understand that some of you are doubting this. Some of you are worshiping and receiving what's happening, but I want you all to know right now that all the authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and I'm giving it to you. So therefore go. I love that he didn't make two groups, the groups of the worshipers and the groups of the doubters. He didn't say to the worshipers, you know what? You guys are ready. Go ahead and go do your thing. Doubters, you probably need to go through a few seminars, a couple schools. I need you to read this book, that book, and then that book. And then maybe we'll reevaluate where your faith is and you can be commissioned into this as well. He didn't do that, did he? No, in fact, he just looked at them all, reminded them of the truth. All authority has been given to me and I'm commissioning you in that authority. Therefore, go and baptize the nations. That word nations is actually ethos, which means peoples, all the peoples. Which peoples are you called to baptize in the Trinity? All the peoples. The pe- you start with the peoples in front of you. You got peoples at your work. You got peoples at your school. You got peoples at the grocery store. You got peoples you don't like. Uh, Don't lie. We all do. You got peoples that you prefer. You got peoples that are related to you. (laughs) All the peoples. 
Jesus said, go and baptize them. That word baptize is baptismo, which means the quick dunk, right? Reveal who Jesus is, but also like a pickle and a jar of vinegar, saturate them in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So even though you may have done it once to that person before and thought, maybe I'm off the hook now. No, Jesus says, go back and engage them and rebaptize them in who I am and what I have to offer for their lives. <laughs> but you know, they're doubting. They don't feel equipped. How many of you know that every time Jesus sent people out to do evangelism, he gave very little details on how to do it, but tall orders on what they should be doing. Heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, <laughs> preach the gospel, right? How many of you think the disciples were like, I don't know if I can do that. I'm not sure if I'm qualified. I love that we see this in Matthew 28, that that was actually happening in the minds of the disciples. But Jesus says to them, therefore, obey and go. Obey and go. So here's the, the, the truth. If we just can boil it down for a second, it's not really about how you feel. It's not really about what you prefer. It's not really about what you want. It's about being obedient to God. Evangelism is obedience to Jesus. What's obedience? It's an expression of love. You will always obey what you love first in your heart. You will. So if you love your comfort, you will obey your comfort. If you love your fear, which many people do, they just can't admit it. You'll obey your fear. If you love your, your money, you will obey your, you'll make decisions based on the best financial opportunities presented to you. Yeah. But if you love Jesus, then you'll just go. Then you'll just do what he said to do. You'll just expect what he said to expect. You'll just make yourself available when opportunity arises for you to step in the ancient, but very true call that Jesus has all authority in heaven on earth. Therefore you should go and baptize the nations in the triune father. Hmm. So what does that mean? It means we have to get over ourselves. <laughs> we have to reorient our hearts into what we actually love. Actually be real with yourself for a moment and say, you know what, Lord, I don't always love you all the time. Sometimes my flesh tells me to do things and I submit to it. And I'm honest about that, but I repent and I choose to love you again. And even though I feel a certain way about going to this person's door right now, even though I don't necessarily want to engage this person who's been persecuting me because you are God and I am not God, I'm saying yes to you because I choose to love you in this moment and obedience is love. You guys okay? <laughs> See, it doesn't always feel natural. Actually, let me just rephrase that. It almost never feels natural to step into an evangelistic opportunity. In fact, after knocking on a thousand doors, I still have to swallow my pride. Allow myself to get over the fear and say, Jesus, I love you. Therefore, I will be obedient to you and go knock on this door to tell this person about the good news. Sometimes people get saved. Sometimes people run me off their property. Sometimes I get cussed out. Sometimes we see miracles happen. The results and the expectations are up to Jesus. My sole responsibility is to be obedient to him. 
is to make myself available to be an expression of his love walking upon this earth. I remember the first time I evangelized or I I took a step out to evangelize someone. It really was terrible. I was walking in pressure is what it was. I wasn't walking in love. I was walking in pressure. I felt the pressure to evangelize. Therefore, I had expectations. I had ideas of what the results should look like. And I remember seeing this guy on the other side of a parking lot and thought, that's my guy. And I run over to him. I was, you know, this is 10 years ago. I ran over to him as fast as I could. I said, hey, hey, hey. He turns around. He sees me running at him and he runs the other direction. (laughs) Wouldn't you do the same thing? Absolutely. That's terrifying. That's so scary. Like you're bolting at somebody. Come on. But I had pressure. I've had expectations I wanted to meet. I wasn't actually walking in obedience. I was walking in my flesh. I've done that a lot, actually. I've, I've messed it up a lot. I've, I've said the wrong things more time than not. But when I can just pump the brakes, take a deep breath, say, Holy Spirit, I actually need you to lead me right now because I'm about to, to misrepresent you and dishonor you in this exchange, in this engagement. Would you step back into the driver's seat of my heart and help me to walk in what you want me to walk in? then good things happens, happen no matter what I say, no matter what I do. When I allow Jesus to be the leader and allow him to, to manifest his love through my life, his kingdom shows up. His kingdom shows up. Now I'm at the point, and I want to save some time for Michael, so I'm going to go real fast. Now I'm at the point where I don't really feel the same expectations anymore. I've changed it from, I want to see something happen to, I just want to be obedient. And now God's expectations flow freely through me. And I'm not afraid to press the issue anymore with people. I'm not afraid to to ask them questions. I'll keep evangelizing someone now until they either tell me to stop or they get saved. (laughs) But it started with understanding that I'm actually not the one that's producing anything in this. I'm just showing up. I'm just being a conduit. I'm just saying yes and making myself available. I don't need to have a certain way to do it. I just need to be myself and be available before the Lord. This is why Jesus didn't give a lot of teaching on how to evangelize. He just said, go do it because you are the perfect candidate for where you've been called to teach people about who God is. Seriously, you can go get all the books, go get all the pamphlets, go get all the tracks, and those are good things. But until you just go out with Holy Spirit and learn how to be a conduit for love, you're never going to be effective at evangelizing. You're always going to feel like there's something else you got to learn. There's always going to be a hidden doubt in your heart that's telling you you need more equipping before you just get over yourself and go be who God called you to be. So now it just doesn't even matter. I'll just talk to you about it until you tell me to stop. In fact, there's a, there was a, a time a couple of years ago where I was in that exact situation. I was with Don Raglan, actually, and we were evangelizing out of a food truck I had. We were making hot dogs, giving out water, and asking people if we could pray for them right after. And it's very important that you ask people if, they can, if you can pray for them. Just praying for people is not honoring, right? You, need per, you can't have authority where you don't have permission. So you have to ask people, you have to honor people. You have to allow people to make the free will choice to say, yes, I want God or no, I don't want God. 
And again, that's letting go of the expectation that you have to be in control of something. Yeah. So we're giving out hot dogs. This guy comes up. He just wants the hot dog. He's got a broken wrist and he doesn't have great health insurance. So he's got to put the, not a real cast over it, but like one of those Velcro casts. You know what I'm talking about? So something you'd use for a sprain, but he got the x-ray and the, the bone in his wrist was broken. And we're talking to him and he's talking to us and he's telling us that he's an atheist. He wants nothing to do with God. He just wants the hot dog in the water and then he's going to be on his way. Well, I said, okay, I totally understand your position. I just want you to know that Jesus loves you despite how you feel about him. And of course, to him, that was picking a fight, which is totally fine. Fight me all you want. I'm not fighting back. I'm just here to tell you the truth, right? You're not here to talk people into anything. You're not a car salesperson. You're not, you're not like trying to sell a credit card app. You're just telling people the truth until they walk away from the truth, right? So I just kept telling him, no, it's, it's true. He loves you. You know, you, you don't believe in him, but he believes in you. He loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. His name is Jesus. And finally, he's like, I don't believe in your God because he's never done anything for my life. Boom, doors open. Look, I'm not going to like force something. I'm only going to take the opportunity that presents itself. This Holy Spirit, this is how he does things. I said, he's not done anything for you. Okay, I understand. I notice you have a little thing on your hand. What's going on with your hand? My wrist is broken. I said, okay, we want to pray for your wrists to see if God will do something for you. He said, you can pray all you want, but nothing's going to happen. What do you think happened? (laughs) So he couldn't open and close his hand, but we prayed for him, I think two times, right? I don't know how we got two out of him, but we did. We got two times and he started flexing his hand, opening and closing his hand. He gave his life to Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, come on. I agree. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it was neat. (laughs) See, this is what it is. It's just being available. It's just saying, Jesus, I know I'm a doubter. I know that sometimes I lack faith, but I trust you more than I trust myself. I choose to love you. I choose to be obedient. I choose to say yes. I choose to be your hands and feet. That's all it is. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, me and John have had some really amazing times together. And I'm going to share kind of how that started a little bit. Um, so I think both of us had met with Craig, our pastor that passed away, and Don Raglan at two separate times the same week and was presented with the exact same question of if you could, if we gave you the uh, money or the funds or the ability to go start a church, would you do it in Cookville, Rickman, or or Wilder, right? Was that the same thing? I have no idea why. Automatically, I said Wilder. And then automatically in my head, I thought, why in the world would I go there? Because there's not a lot of people there. It's the middle of Appalachia. Um, and I automatically heard... Rick Bonfin, he is a guy that I spent a year doing uh, ministry with. Right when I got into ministry, I was an intern with him. Uh, I heard his voice in my head say, you always go where the people are in need because that's where Jesus went. And that was, out of those places, it's known to us living there that there are 
desperate need for Jesus in that area. What I've come to realize in the past, I don't know, seven or eight years since that happened was those exact same people are everywhere in this world. It just isn't as noticeable on the outside. The neighborhoods right around here are filled with the same exact people in the same heart condition that the broken people that we have experienced in uh, Appalachia are in. The same exact place. It is no different no matter where you go. Every single person, until they meet Jesus and allow him to change their life, we're all in the same fallen uh, situation in our lives. Now, the outside might look better for some people, right? Some people might have a big house and a fancy car and a great job and still be just as lost as the poorest person in the world. And so over the time of us doing this, I've looked at that differently of what really evangelism is and how it's done. And I'm going to read uh, Matthew 9. So John really connected really well with doing this as an act of obedience to God. And I I don't know, is anybody in here, do you feel like God hasn't asked you to be obedient? Okay, good. So all of us understand and accept the fact that obedience is the, the most important thing for us to grasp as a Christian is that whenever he asks us to do something, no matter how hard or uh, uncomfortable or complicated it is, we, we are obedient to do that and leave the results up to him, not go into it with an expectation of, you know, I, I think the first time we went to Wilder, I went in with some expectation and that did not get met very well. Um, but I'm going to read Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. And this is whenever uh, Jesus calls Matthew. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But the Pharisees saw this. They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And so the the connecting part for me is that Uh, whenever we understand the importance of what somebody else means, that is a huge step in our willingness to be obedient and do evangelism. You want to know the best place to start evangelizing? Right here on Sunday mornings with each other. Because I don't know about you, but there's plenty of Sunday mornings I walk into our church and need somebody to ask me how I'm doing or pray for me about something or to, to engage me in that same way because I need something. You know what? Everybody that walks in here has probably walked through something pretty difficult that week. And they need 
each other. You all need each other being willing to do that with the people that you do know before you can ever want to do that with people that you don't know. What Justin said, wherever Justin is, I don't know where he is. Oh, right there he is. I just looked at him. You know, what he said tonight of somebody that feels numb, I've felt that way for quite a while. I've had a really rough six months spiritually for me. Um, and I, I needed somebody to be obedient enough whenever they heard that to say that. So to me, what Justin did on the stage was evangelizing to me, delivering a word that God gave him for somebody that was in this room, and it was for me. And so I stood there, and I said, God, like, I, I don't want to feel numb. And I don't know, has anybody had a sternum rub done on them before? My wife's a nurse, so she's practiced stuff like that on me. Um, if you've never done that, you have, let somebody do that. They, they rub their, your, their, your sternum with their knuckles, and it hurts so bad. But I felt like spiritually God did that to me while we were worshiping. And, and so evangelism, like, I think we put things in boxes so often in church that we don't really understand what they uh, mean or the impact that they can have because we're unwilling to take them out of that box that we've put them in. And evangelism is probably one of those things that most church people have put in that box. For, for many years now, uh, churches, uh, I think, or, or what I've heard from people say is churches have done a bad job of discipleship. One of the best things to do for discipleship is doing evangelism Amen. because it forces you to grow into who God has called you to be. Because whenever you go and evangelize places, not knowing who you are, you, you present something of yourself that maybe you don't even uh, possess yet. So you're, you're presenting a, somebody that you're not, that maybe you want to be out of expectation that never gets met. And so you realize, okay, I've got to figure out how to do this a way that I can just go and be me and know that it's okay if somebody rejects me but I'll go back to that house again, or I'll go back to that line in the store again, just because of that. Not running away from it because of that, but running towards it because of that, because that's what Jesus does for us, right? He never, because we reject him, he doesn't then run away from us and say, I'm never gonna have anything to do with them again. No, whenever we reject him, it makes him run even harder towards us. And, and to me, that as Christians, as somebody that says they're a believer, as part of our calling is to do that, is to go after people that God's put in our life or our path and not allow them rejecting us to scare us away from them. Because more times than not, they're rejecting not us. They're rejecting what we're presenting to them. And the problem is, who in here likes being rejected? None of us like, I, I hate being rejected. That is like one of the worst things. But what I realized in some of the times that I've been rejected 
was that I, I would have left that situation more worried about them than the, than the rejection that I felt. Earlier on in my walk, it would have been, I would have been so broken from being rejected that I wouldn't have gave a second thought to them. But now, if, if I feel that rejection, my heart doesn't really hurt for me as much as it does for that person that has rejected me, because I know it's not me they're rejecting most of the time. Some people just don't like me, but um, <laughs> I love you too, John. Um, and so uh, one thing that I did was, I, you know, I think we use words and we never really look up what the words mean, right? So evangelism just means spreading the gospel by public preaching and personal witness. Well, a lot of people would say, well, wait, you're, you're the preacher, I'm not. Wrong. Wrong. Who in here thinks that they don't preach something everywhere they go? We all do. Everybody does. Right? We all preach something. And so... The, the way that we do those things impacts people whether we know it or not. And so if we uh, live our life with that mentality, which I have a really hard time doing, especially whenever my kids are around and we're in the grocery store or something, um, of I'm, I'm saying something to people without even using words, what, what do they hear or what are they seeing? And sometimes the hardest ones to reach in that was one of the ones that John said is family, right? Because our families all know us the best when we're at our worst. And more times than not, that's the way that they respond to what we say is, well, you you don't always act like that, or you say things different than that. And, And so not to feel the the weight of that or that rejection either because I don't know about you, but the process thing that John was talking about, I'm going through that still. I think we all are. Is anybody in here arrived? No? Oh, that's a good thing. (laughs) Cameron was like that. No, I shouldn't do that. No. So I'm going to read another passage, 1 Corinthians 9, 21 through 23. Uh, now this is uh, on down in the, the passage, but the, the end of it is what I'm really wanting to talk about. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. So if, if we can do that in, uh, you know, wherever you, you all decide to do any type of evangelism, do it 
trying to meet people where they're at rather than bringing what you know into the situation. Um, and I, I think that was, for us, best shown to me, or probably to both of us, uh, up in Twenton where we uh, have a, a little church up there. There's a little store that every time we went and knocked on doors, we would go to this store because it's the only store like within 30 miles. And it had one gas pump and really bad for you bologna sandwiches. And the same two guys were in there every time we would go, the guy that owned it uh, and then another guy that rode his four-wheeler there every day and sat in the back and drank beer. But we would go in there every single week whenever we went up there. And I had no idea if there was any type of an impact being made. We would just go in there and talk to them every time because we knew if nobody else was home or answering their doors, those two guys would be there every single time, never failed. Um, and we would have about the same conversations with them every time, and they would let us pray for them. And uh, the guy that owned the place, when we got done praying, he would say something that took me and John like months to figure out what he was saying. He was, when we would get done, we'd say amen, and he would say, Smooty B. We'd be like, what in the world? But we realized he was saying, so let it be. But it just didn't sound like that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so every time we would leave, I'd say, John, did you figure it out this time? I have no idea what he's saying. Yeah. So we just started trying to research what, it could, what he was saying, and we figured it out. Um, but every time, it was the same type of encounter. It never really changed over that time. But little to us knowing, they had really started trusting us because we showed up every week. And John actually went one week that I didn't get to go with him, and the guy that sat in the back and drank beer, and he always let us pray for him. And he, I mean, he was such a nice guy. He just uh, had lots of trauma in his life, and, you know, that's what he did. Um, but John showed up one week without me, and Chris was the guy's name, was in the hospital. He wasn't there. Like, John showed up, and he called me when he left and said, you'll never believe this, but Chris wasn't at Taze's today. And I said, really? Why? And he said, because he's in the hospital. And um, so I think John and Cynthia both went and visited him at the hospital. And then I went with John the next week when we were actually it was a couple days later, we went back up there uh, to talk to Randall. And John said, like, he's not doing good. Like, he's in rough shape in the hospital. And Randall was like, yeah, that happens about once a year. He'll be okay in a week or so. Well, little did we know, the next week when we came back, he was fine. Uh, I think John went to the hospital one more time and saw him. And then another thing happened, and we were together that time. It was one of the most uncomfortable things that ever happened to me, so I won't talk about it. Um, <laughs> but we ended up being able to get call a, um, a, a non-emergency medical transfer place and like get him to the hospital and stuff. And he probably, the people that came in there all the time and bought uh, sandwiches and, and beer from him and everything, he would have never said anything to. But he knew we cared about him 
enough because we continually showed up and it wasn't for any of those things. We had a bologna sandwich once or twice, but I got sick from one of them and said I would never eat another one. Um, and, and so it's more about allowing the other person to be important enough to be uncomfortable or to be uh, embarrassed or whatever the feeling, emotion that you have in encountering somebody to ask them if you can pray for them or to ask them uh, if there's something that they need or just to be who Jesus was. So to me, whenever we, whenever we see the Great Commission, if you would read the Great Commission first, read that, okay? Then go back and read everything that Jesus did. To me, that's what the Great Commission is. As he says to go and do this, but his entire life before that was an example of what we're to go and do. <coughs> it was to go into a house and sit with sinners and eat with them. It's to encounter the people that nobody else wants to encounter. It's to invite those people to the next potluck dinner that you all have here, if you do that. Those are the things, that's what to me evangelism is about, is, isn't really about what I'm bringing to somebody else. It's to making them important enough that Jesus is able to work through me. Because if, if, if your neighbor or the person at the grocery store or down the road isn't important enough for you to be uncomfortable to engage them, then evangelism probably isn't something that you're going to want to do. Because that's what it's about. It's about making somebody else more important. But like I started with, if you're uncomfortable with that, start that in here on Sunday mornings. Pay attention to the other people that are around you. It's super easy to see if somebody needs something just by looking at their face, which is something that we're not great at doing anymore. So is it difficult to, to evangelize? Yeah. Why? Is it because it's uncomfortable? Possibility of rejection? <laughs> the reality that others may not realize their need for Jesus like you do? All of those things are real. But I believe that we're called to, to die to ourself. And the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. Well, if we really love other people, we'll be willing to do that. We'll be willing to go out on a limb and maybe embarrass ourselves or be rejected. But it's okay. I don't, is there anybody in here that's never been rejected? Okay. We've all experienced it. You know what? We'll all experience it more in our life in some form or fashion, and it may have nothing to do with Jesus. So we might as well make it worth something good. Amen. Anytime that we put ourselves out there, we always risk that. We always risk being humiliated or being rejected. But if there's one thing that's worth that risk, it's Jesus. So I have a story also. So uh, this wouldn't have been long after me and John met each other, actually. John, uh, everybody doesn't know, but he used to be a juice connoisseur. He did it. He had a, a food truck that he sold juice out of, like fresh juice. It was 
phenomenal unless you mix the wrong kind of stuff together, and then it could be awful. Um, But he would unload all that stuff once a week and drive his food truck, his trailer, to the projects right in Livingston where we lived and do hot dogs and chips and drinks. And so he would like call and say, hey, I'll buy the chips, somebody else buy the hot dogs. And, And so we would do that. It was just a lunchtime on like Thursday, I think we did it or something. And uh, and so people that, that lived right there would come and get lunch from the truck. And we never charged anything, never charged people for the food. We just said the precursor to you getting lunch is that we get to pray for you. And so everybody would walk over there, get lunch. We would pray for them for something. And Uh, I saw some really cool things happen during that time, but I remember this one lady that she walked up, and it took her, like, we could see her walking. She walked, you know, a couple of blocks to get there, and we could see her walking because she was not walking very well. Took her a long time to get to the truck. Well, she got there, and we made the plate and sat it out there and said, okay, well, what can we pray for you for? And she didn't really have anything. And obviously she was not walking well. And so I remember saying, well, well, what's wrong with your leg? And she had something wrong with her knee and her hip. And so we said, okay, well, we'll pray for that. And so we prayed for her knee and her hip and did it get any better? No, not really. Okay, well, let's pray again. I think we prayed for three or four times. But the last time that we prayed for her, I remember I was looking at her face as we were praying for her, and she was standing there like this. About halfway through the prayer, she went and started looking around, and I thought, oh, something happened. And we stepped back and said, is that better? And, and I'll never forget, she, she lifted her leg up and put it down and then stood on it and jumped up and down on it and turned around and walked all the way home. And, and left her hot dog and chips and drink sitting on the truck. Sometimes you have to get creative and make people think they need something in order for them to get what they really do need. Um, you know, Jesus calls us to do what he did and even greater things, Right? The problem is Jesus started with the simple things of eating with sinners and being in the places that nobody else wanted to be. We want to see the grandeur of people getting healed and demons cast out and all these things, but we're most of the time unwilling to do the simple things that he did where he started ministry. And that was with the people that nobody else wanted to do anything with. And as I said to start with, in today's time, all those people that Jesus went and sat with, the outsiders and sinners, wouldn't be the poorest people. They might drive a Lamborghini and live in a $5 million house and be so lost inside that that's the way that that it would look for people that... uh, were questioning him. So I think that 
you know, I've talked to Bill, and I came with Bill today and watered the trees in this nature area and everything, and which some of y'all should volunteer to help him with that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it wasn't too hard. It's a really, it's a beautiful area, but I think it's going to be a really fantastic way if you want to learn evangelism in a very probably easy setting, spend some time out here on this thing encountering the people that are going to be walking on it because I really think that, that it's going to draw a lot of people that live right here because I'm pretty sure there's plenty of people right here that need Jesus. And that is going to be a fantastic way to reach people in a very practical, easy setting that is far less intimidating than knocking on somebody's door. It's pretty intimidating to knock on somebody's door. In Tennessee, I can't imagine what it would be like in Michigan. I mean, yeah, I think we've been met with some guns before and stuff, but uh, that's not as scary as I'm sure walking around a neighborhood, you know, that has hundreds of houses, and by the time you get five houses down, they already know you're coming, right? Um, So I just want to encourage you to think about that whenever you think, because I've talked to plenty of people, and plenty of people say, I'm not called to be an evangelist. Yes, we all are. Everybody that is a Christian is called to be an evangelist to somebody somewhere. And if if the other people become more important than our what we look like to them, then it's going to matter a lot more to each of us. It is. It's going to be far greater to know that I can miss it 99 times out of 100, but if I get it one time with one person, that the 99 times not seeing what I thought would happen is worth it. It's worth it. I don't know. I know uh, most people here will know who Todd White is. I remember early on in... in, um, wanting to pray for people and seeing them healed and different things. I remember watching some of his stuff and him saying uh, that that he prayed for over 2,000 people before he saw anybody healed. But he had said at the the front of it, I'm not going to give up until I see it happen because I know if the Bible says that it happens, it's true. What if we approached knocking on doors and talking to people the same way? that we might get rejected 1,999 times before somebody accepts the message that we have or us praying for them. It's still worth it. So don't be discouraged or don't think that you're not called to do this. You are. You're a Christian. All of us are. Every single person is given that same great commission that John said, is go. Go. And do this. If, you, if you're a disciple, and as long as everybody in here is saved, you're a disciple, we're all called to do that. All right, so I don't know how you want to close, John. I'd like to pray for people.
but we're going to do it fast, okay? Um, yeah, John's is safe. That was such a good word. It's so important that you just go and do and get rejected. You need to be rejected a few times. You really do. It's so important because you don't understand, or maybe you do, but the more you, you get rejected, you get comfortable, the more you begin to understand that people's souls are at stake. The, Jesus talked about hell. There's a hell after this life. And if we won't go, who's going to go? Who's going to go? There's nobody else. You're, the church is plan A, B, and C. There's no other plan. Jesus commissioned the church to snatch people from eternal damnation. Okay, and I know that's not popular like language in the church in America right now, but who cares? Honestly, who cares? And who cares if you get rejected for the sake of keeping someone from falling into the, 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 the fire that never stops burning and the place where the worms never stop chewing? That's Jesus' language, right? Just real quick, one more story. This is how important it is. I remember uh, years ago, um, I, was, I had this friend named Garrett, and Garrett loved Jesus. He was on fire, but he was also bipolar. Uh, but you can be bipolar and be on fire for Jesus. It's not either or. In fact, in uh, 1 Kings, when Elisha was dying, it says when he was in his last illness, which means he had a first one and probably a second one and a third one, and that was his last this is a fallen world. We have problems from time to time. Garrett had bipolar. And so I had to check up on him every now and again to make sure he was okay. And I remember one day I heard the Holy spirit say really clearly call Garrett and make sure he's okay. But I didn't really want to. I was like doing, I was like my day off and I was watching Netflix and I was like, nah, not doing it. Well, it was, I think it was like 12 PM or something like that lunchtime. And I didn't do it. A couple days later, I get a, a call from a mutual friend, and he says, hey, I just need to let you know Garrett's dead. A couple of days ago, he walked into I-40 uh, and allowed a semi-truck to just hit him. Whew. Yeah, it was rough. So I, I thought about it for a little bit, and I, I realized the time that he was proclaimed dead, or it was close to when I heard the Holy Spirit say, call Garrett. Yeah, that that was painful. It really was. And I was, you know, grieving, like, first of all, grieving my friend was dead, right? But also grieving that I was so numb and dull in my flesh that I couldn't just pick up a phone and say, hey, how are you? And really, that's a picture of the American church. We're so numb and dead. We're not willing to be obedient and just go and preach to save people's lives. Okay. So what we want to do, if we can get some music up, we want to just pray activation over you that this would be a sober reality, that there is an eternal paradise that we're all headed to, but there's also an eternal damnation that those who do not know the gospel are also headed to. And the only thing standing between them and that hell is our gospel, our ability to preach the gospel. So if you'd like to receive prayer, an activation for that. I just want you to come forward and the leaders of the church to come forward. We're just going to pray that people would be activated in that reality.